My name is Michaela Tobin. I am a soprano, sound artist, and teacher born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I compose and perform experimental operas, electronic noise music, and teach others how to free their voice both within the institution and outside of it. My background and training as an opera singer has given me the tools and inspiration to push the boundaries of my voice, exploring, dissecting, and reframing the qualities and aesthetics of what is beautiful and precious about this special instrument that each one of us has inside of us. I love to create beds of sound using my voice, looped and harmonized upon itself, with field recordings of people, places, and spaces that are dear to me. It always comes back to like blur the line between noise and melody, tangling and untangling sonic textures in a curious circle. To me, sound is a beautiful memory, and the voice, a map of our imprinted identity. reveals our joys and our pains, subconsciously and consciously. Today, I will take you through a sonic map of some of the tenets of my practice as it has unfolded for me through the years. Electronic looping as meditation. The main type of processing I use is looping, which is the process of layering tones in a sequential pattern. Looping my own voice has not only allowed me to connect with harmony in a deeper, more embodied sense, but it also taught me how to actually enjoy the sound of my own voice. You see, when the musical fabric is just me, it is very vulnerable and revealing. There is no one else to hide behind. Through this process, I am forced to accept and even enjoy these mistakes and grains of texture in my voice, 
because once they are looped into the circle, they cannot be erased. I must learn to sit with and respond to any perceived mistakes. And so, I've learned how to transform the musical mistakes into a cohesive part of a whole. This is a musical quality that I have come to deeply value, not only as a lesson in making art, but also in life. When I am improvising with my looper, I usually repeat one word or phrase that is meaningful to me, letting a melody emerge through the subconscious train of thought. It has become a therapeutic and meditative process through which I have been able to sharpen my harmonic language and improvisational skills. In an interview, the great experimental musician Pamela Z once said that, quote, when you hear something repeat over and over again, with each hearing you hear another layer. You get to keep re-examining it, and your ear reconstructs the timbral qualities. You hear different frequency layers within it, and so it changes the color. It changes the sound of the vowel. All of this is happening in your ear, but you think it's happening in reality." Unquote.
Part two, reclaiming the ancestral voice in opera. Since the age of nine, I have been in love with opera. I remember the first opera I went to, Lucia di Lammermoor, at the Los Angeles Opera when I was 10 years old. I remember watching the tragic yet powerful woman standing at the top of the staircase covered in blood, making the most powerful sounds I'd ever heard. As cliche as it may sound, from that point on, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. However, through the many years of intense training that ensued, at the other end of it, I found myself disillusioned and disempowered in the competitive rat race of trying to become an opera star. What was missing? Looking back, I now realize that what I truly felt was a lack of control and visibility in my practice, as I was only allowed to perform if I was cast in a role for a show, and the roles that I were auditioning for oftentimes were part of larger narratives that I found to be misogynistic and even racist. In hindsight, I realized that the emptiness I felt inside was ultimately due to the fact that I didn't see my identity or my culture adequately reflected in any of the traditional Western operatic narratives that I was dedicating my life to. It took me years after leaving the opera world to adequately understand this profound gap and dedicate my practice to filling it. are based on stories from Greek mythology. So I began researching the pre-colonial myths and stories of my own motherland, the Philippines. And from there, I started delving into post-colonial Philippine psychology and understanding the profound impact that our colonization by the Spanish and Americans had and continues to have on our collective psyche.
I realized that I wanted to make an opera that served as a sort of anti-colonial, decolonizing sonic ritual. It was then that I found the myth of the Bakunawa, the moon-eating serpent whose act tells the story of the first lunar eclipse. In 2020, I made an album by the same name that was a sonic retelling of the Philippine myth. And then, in 2021, I expanded it into an opera film. In 2023, I will complete this cycle with my next opera, Apalaki of the Scorched Earth. This opera will tell the story of Apalaki, the pre-colonial Philippine god of sun and war. In both the album and the operatic version of Bakunawa, every musical gesture is intentional and riddled with tone painting, returning motifs, and narrative art. Perlas ng silangan, perlas ng kalangitan, kapag ikay pinag-ari ko, may pag-asa ba ako sa liwanan? Perlas ng silangan, perlas sa kalangitan, for your curious ears, I will now dive into some of the compositional elements I used, which I will also be performing live at the wonderful Gaudiamus Festival, along with my co-composer, Rhea Fowler, and percussionist, Adam Starkov. with the sweeping sounds of the walis tambo, a traditional broom made of hay used commonly in the Philippines. I turned the sound of a common cultural utilitarian object into a musical motif that returns throughout the rest of the opera. In addition, the act of sweeping also mimics the sound of the ocean, creating a sonic bridge between the Philippines and the Pacific coast shore, where I currently live in the diaspora. I composed the vocal cells for the prologue to mimic the weaving pattern of woven palm leaf, which is a traditional Filipino art form. You can hear each voice interlocking in slow repetition with the strings gradually entering and strengthening the pattern. 
This pattern also mimics the rising and setting of the moon itself. live, I often use the amplified Walis Tambo by taping contact mics to it run through distortion pedals. Through this, I am able to amplify and transform the seemingly mundane gesture of sweeping into a magnificent sound wall of feedback and distortion, oftentimes culminating in hitting myself with the Walis Tambo, something not uncommon for mothers to do to naughty children in the Philippines. Bringing voice into charged objects through contact mics and electronic effects pedals is part of my sonic ritual practice. Later on in the episode, you will have a chance to hear the power of the distorted Walis Tampo in the following devouring scene. now devolve into the scraping and brushing sounds, mimicking again the return of the motif of the Walis Tambo and transitioning us into the next scene, the moon aria. Thank you. 
In both the album and the opera, I wanted to include a piece that resonated with traditional bel canto style of operatic singing. The moon aria is that piece. I recorded the flourishes of piano arpeggios on an old, slightly detuned piano, and then layered the arpeggios gradually on top of one another to create a sense of the Bakunawa floating in the ocean, a sea of timelessness. To give further nod to the traditional operatic form, I quoted these arpeggios from Song to the Moon from the opera Rizalka by Dvorak. devouring. In the devouring scene, I asked co-composer and violinist Rhea Fowler to compose string gestures that simulated the act of the Bakunawa devouring the seven moons. becomes more and more frenzied and dissonant with the addition of my amplified Walis Tambo. Final phrase, you can hear me screaming the name Bakunawa, Bakunawa, into the Walistambo itself as I finally grab the seventh moon. 
These are just some of the ways in which I bring ancestral voice into new work, how I infuse traditional operatic form with non-Western narrative, and how I have finally found my own voice. Do you like the sound of your own voice? I realized that for most of my life, I did not. All I cared about was pleasing the ears of my teachers, directors, conductors, and audiences, rather than focusing on how the sound actually felt in my body. I did not embody my own voice, and I had no agency over my own practice. There was a huge disconnect there, and when I was finally able to acknowledge that disconnect, is when my true musical journey began. How does one begin to fall in love with the sound of their own voice? For me, the answer was, and always will be, free improvisation and making noise. Play. Once I walked away from the opera stage and into the punk house, the basements, the DIY music venues of the Pacific Northwest, I finally found my own voice. I couldn't just hear it now. I could feel it. I could feel the sound of my own voice resonating in my chest, and I could see it resonating in the eyes of my small but engrossed audience. I didn't know what I was going to do next, and neither did they, and that spontaneity was a powerful freedom that absolutely excited me. For the first time ever, I felt completely in control over my own instrument. I felt completely present and connected to that audience while performing. Gone was the bright lights of the stage, an invisible wall that separated me from the audience. Now, that audience was right in front of me, on the floor. No separation and no hierarchy. One of my dearest voice teachers would always tell me, vulnerability is empowerment. I never understood this sentiment while performing traditional opera, but it finally hit me when I began screaming through a distortion pedal to an audience of five people at a basement noise show in Seattle, Washington. This was my version of Lucia's death aria. And guess what? I got to compose the ending myself. I'll give you a hint. In my set, she doesn't die.
amplified, improvised, noisy voice offers a type of sonic freedom that I was never able to find in Western opera. The first time I saw the great Diamanda Galas perform, I understood this. Watching her command the stage and her instrument with such fierce inhibition, while clearly containing fierce musical and technical chops, blew my mind. She could sing Lucia, and she could also rip Lucia to shreds simultaneously. The choice was hers. Singing is modified screaming, the first sound we make when we enter this world. That is why the voice is such a powerful instrument of vulnerability and empathy. We each contain it, and we can all use it. My practice as a voice teacher is to help people unlock the complicated web of muscular tensions that keep the voice locked up. This web of tension is generally the result of deep traumas, which is why singing can be so difficult and scary for many people. Freeing one's voice is a process of freeing oneself in that sense. I'd like to share an exercise for screaming that I've developed for my voice workshops. For all you curious listeners, you are welcome to try this at home or on top of a mountain, wherever you feel comfortable using your voice. Now, before we begin screaming, we must make sure our bodies and our breath are engaged with ease. This element of ease is something that took me a long time to find because I was always so concerned with the end result, how I would sound. So, I'm going to tell you something you may find shocking. I don't care how your voice sounds. I care how your voice feels. And I want you to do the same. This is because if you can find the placement where your voice feels good in the body, the sound that emerges will inevitably develop into your own natural, beautiful, unique resonance. This is what I call resonant alignment. To find your ease of breath, breathe in as if you were sucking slowly through an imaginary straw. Feel the breath go deep into the bottom of your lungs. If you're doing this correctly, you will automatically feel your rib cage gently expand. The key word here is gentle. Try this three times, breathing in through that imaginary straw. Holding that breath gently into the expanded rib cage and exhaling on a hiss. Controlling that exhalation of breath Two more times. Inhaling. 
gently holding that expansion. Exhaling on a hiss. And one more time. Inhale. And exhale. See if you can keep your ribcage expanded as you exhale on that hiss. Now, the next step to a healthy scream, we must open our mouths. Open your mouth as if you are biting into an apple. Dropping your jaw, relaxing your tongue. Now, we're gonna breathe in with that same type of breath, except instead of breathing in through a straw, we're gonna breathe in through that ah shape as if you are biting into an apple. Deep breath in. And exhaling on that ah. Now this time as you exhale, instead of your hiss, see if you can still keep that rib cage expanded. Breathing in one more time. Holding that breath and exhaling. Now, the key to screaming, and really all phonation, is using the voice as a vessel for expressing emotion, rather than letting the emotion get tied up in your throat. This is where the phrase, all choked up, comes from. We want to use the voice as a transporter of emotion, and in order to do this, we must create space in our throat and in our mouth for the voice to spin to resonate in. Now, let's try screaming together. We will start small and gradually get bigger. Breath in. Let's do it with a little more power. Breathing in. Did you drop your jaw? Did you relax your tongue? And did you anchor your breath? Let's try one more time, a little louder. Breathing in. Ah. Didn't that feel good? All right. For your curious ears, we will end this podcast episode with an instructional score that I wrote called Scream Peace. Scream quietly. Mm-hmm.
scream loudly. Scream until you're singing. Sing until you're screaming. Scream in a deep place. Scream in a high place. Scream in a middle place. Scream on the edges of sound. Scream backwards. Scream forwards. Scream for a long time. Scream for a short time. And now I leave you with one of my favorite quotes on listening from the philosopher Luce Rigere from the beginning of her chapter on listening titled In Almost Absolute Silence from the book I Love to You. I am listening to you, as to another who transcends me, requires a transition to a new dimension. I am listening to you. 
I perceive what you are saying. I am attentive to it. I am attempting to understand and hear your intention, which does not mean I comprehend you. I know you, so I do not need to listen to you, and I can even plan for a future for you. No, I am listening to you as someone and something I do not yet know, on the basis of a freedom and an openness put aside for this moment. I am listening to you. I encourage something unexpected to emerge, some beginning, some growth, some new dawn, perhaps. I am listening to you prepares the way for the not yet coded, for silence, for a space for existence, initiative, free intentionality, and support for your becoming. <laughs>